Hey everybody, it's Sunday, November 20th, 2022. Welcome to the Mind Podcast. RS here and hope that we are at peace, all of you. I'm trying a new thing on the podcast. And on Sundays, we are going to talk about sports psychology. Hopefully soon I'll be able to interview sports psychologists <laughs> and get to know what they do and how they can help an athlete overcome adversity to become a well-oiled machine and win that gold medal, that championship trophy, whatever it is. And can sports psychology help us everyday folks achieve greater things in life? Hmm. Gets you thinking, right? Okay, so since I have no professionals to converse with, in this episode, I'm going to talk about some of the most talented professional athletes that were celebrities and made millions of dollars only to fall from grace by doing the crime. The questions are why? Why did an athlete that seemingly have had have everything in life do something so fatuous that they fell hard from flying so high <laughs> you like that writing i'm just trying to sound like um i don't know <laughs> gotta get into some writing right my friend slick was like hey man you gotta you gotta like uh get some uh get some lyrics going kind of you know so that's my lyrics <laughs> my podcast lyrics if you will anyway RSB at Peace is uploaded exclusively on Anchor, which is owned by Spotify. So you download the Spotify app and look for RSB at Peace. This is Season 3, Episode 10. Once you have that app, you will not only have audio, but video as well. Okay, so I can be found on Apple Podcasts as well and on YouTube. Um, I don't get hits on YouTube, you know, so um, uh, mostly on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but uh, you can go to YouTube. Um, if you go to YouTube, you'll look at how many people look at me. Um, not too many people, but they find me on the podcast apps because I guess I'm a podcast. Um, yeah, so YouTube is, you know, you don't have to download the app pretty much. You just type it in, right? Um, and so I, I just found out yesterday... Uh, a friend of mine goes, "Hey man, I, I was on. I had I had the Tune In app, Tune In app, and he saw my podcast there as well, the recent ones. So add Tune In, the Tune In podcast platform as well. All right. So so the first athlete we are going to talk about is pro baseball or former pro baseball player Jose Canseco, who debuted for all you young people." This guy's ancient, but if you're ancient like me, because Jose Canseco is actually the same age as I am. So um, so the first athlete we're going to talk about is former pro baseball player Jose Canseco, who debuted on September 2nd, 1985 for the Oakland A's. And his last appearance as a major league player was on October 6, 2001 for the Chicago White Sox. Okay. Uh, very successful player. Okay, his uh, his Major League Baseball stats. Okay, just in a nutshell, he had a .266 batting average. He had 462 home runs and had uh, 1,407 runs batted in. All right, not too shabby, right? So he played for the A's, the Oakland A's, in 1985 to 1992. Uh, he played for the Texas Rangers in 1992 and 1994. Played for Boston for a year, uh, 95 to 96. He went back to Oakland again in 97. Uh, went to Toronto for, to play for the Blue Jays in 98. Uh, went down to Tampa, played with the Rays for one year in 99 and 2000. Played for the New York Yankees in 2000. And ended his career with the Chicago White Sox in 2001. That's uh, Barack Obama's team, right? Barack Obama. Uh, well, you know, uh, I remember that year. That year we had, uh, we had uh, Jose Canseco. Uh, he was all roided up, uh, but we, we loved him. At least one year we got to see the roided uh, Jose Canseco. That was my, uh, my lousy version of um, 
Barack Obama. Anyway, he was a six-time All-Star. He was a two-time World Series champion for two different teams. Uh, he was a uh, American League MVP. He was the Rookie of the Year in American League uh, one time, and he was a four-time Silver Slugger Award winner. He was a two-time Home Run leader. Uh, and was the MLB RBI leader in 1988. Ironically, that's when my Dodgers beat beat his A's. It was 1988, but he was the uh, uh, RBI leader then. Okay, so as you can gather from this history of Jose Canseco, he was very successful. Okay, his total career salary was, before taxes, were $45 million by today's standards, uh, that's not much, but back then it was a lot. Okay, you got to remember now, this is uh, uh, 85 to, what, 2001? Like two decades ago, right? Three decades ago maybe when, when he first started. So $45 million for this guy in his generation was a lot of bucks. And not to mention if he had uh, uh, bonuses and, uh, you know, uh, 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 ads or whatever, commercials. Um, to add to his income. But anyway, so what did he get into that was dubious? He was involved in the steroid use in Major League Baseball and wrote a book about it titled, go look this up, Juiced, Wild Times, Rampid Roids, Smash Hits, and How Baseball Got Big. He also admitted that he used anabolic steroids to enhance his performance on the field like many baseball players back in that, that era. Right, okay, let me just add real quick, um, if you don't know what Jose Canseco looks like, um, if you go on YouTube and you're going to watch this on YouTube, I'm going to have like B-rolls or uh, I'll, I'll add photos of uh, stuff that I'm talking about so you can see it. And if you get the app on Spotify, you'll be able to see the, the video of you know what I'm showing, if that fancies you or not. If not, if you just get the audio, you can't see what I'm going to be posting when I edit. So legal issues and controversies. On February 10, 1989, Canseco was arrested in Florida for reckless driving after allegedly leading an officer on a 15-mile chase. 15-mile chase. He was found guilty and fined 500 bucks. On, April's, on April 11, 1989, Canseco was arrested in California for carrying a loaded semi-automatic pistol in his car. He was released on $2,500 bail and pleaded no contest. On February 13, 1992, Conseco was charged with aggravated battery for ramming his Porsche into a BMW driven by his then ex-wife, or by his then wife, Esther Conseco, after a verbal altercation. On March 19, 1992, Conseco pleaded not guilty to charges of aggravated assault and later underwent counseling and fulfilled a community service requirement. Okay, now in uh, November of 1997, Canseco was arrested for beating his then-wife, Jessica Canseco. In January of 1998, he pleaded no contest and was sentenced to one year of probation and required to attend counseling. Mm-hmm. There you go, folks. Uh, in October of 2001, Canseco and his brother Ozzy got into a fight with two men at a Miami Beach nightclub that left one man with a broken nose and another needing 20 stitches in his lip. <laughs> oh, man. Imagine that. You get 20 stitches on your lip. I don't know, man. Anyway, both were charged with two counts of aggravated battery. The brothers both pleaded guilty and received both probation and community service. All right. So if you <laughs> if you got beaten up by somebody like this, an other guy that, that, that was guilty uh, just received probation and community service. Uh, I don't know, man. You'd be thinking, hey, man, can you throw him in jail at least for like one freaking night and make me feel better? <laughs> he probably was, but I don't know. So following his retirement... In May of 2002, Canseco speculated about having been blackballed by Major League Baseball. It was then he announced he was writing a tell-all book about his baseball career and the increasing usage of anabolic steroids in baseball. In March 2003, Canseco missed a court appearance while in California working out 
a custody dispute over his six-year-old. The judge revoked his probation and sentenced him to two years under house arrest, followed by three years probation. All right. In June of 2003, Conseco was arrested at his home for probation violation, and he tested positive for guess what? He tested positive for steroids. Conseco spent a month in jail without bail. Wow. Okay, so in May of 08, Conseco revealed that he had lost his house in Encino, California to foreclosure, saying his two divorces had cost him 7 to $8 million each. Hmm. Okay, let me stop right here, folks. Now, if somebody's like kind of like off the tracks, and, you know, this guy, his, psycho his psychology or his psychological makeup is kind of skewed, if you ask me, right? This is the history of it, of leading up to this. Um, you know, I, I think if, if Jose was my brother, I'd call, hey, hey, Jose, time out, man. You, you're making millions of dollars, right? And some of the shit you're pulling, you might lose a lot of that money, right? So... Okay, okay, so for those of you young athletes out there, Uncle Ron, Brother Ron's going to give you a tip, okay? Let's say you're, you're, you're great at football, you're a little tyke, but um, somehow you got the, this podcast. It pays to be a law-abiding citizen and to be someone in the right frame of mind because this dude, back in the day, made millions. I think somebody told me if it was today's money that $45 million would be like, I don't know. Like double that, maybe triple that. So whatever it is, let's say you're 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 15 years old, you're great at football at high school, and you got a chance to play in the NFL and make a gazillion bucks. It pays to be in the right frame of mind and not hang with the wrong people. I mean, seriously, guys, you get drunk, you get into a bar, and you got a hot temper. There's a, a nine out of ten chances you're gonna get into a fight. I got friends like that, um, like. Little things will take them off. Somebody looks at them, they want to fight. And, you know, if you're poor like me, you know, you get into a fight or whatever, you got really nothing to lose except you might go to jail and get sued, but you can't pay the, pay the tab because you don't make a lot of money. But if you're making a lot of money, it doesn't matter if you're uh, an athlete or whatever, if you're just anyone, if you're just you're making money legally and you're making lots of it, you got a talent, you got a skill, why blow it on doing something idiotic? You know, it. You know, these guys are talented baseball players, professional athletes. They get into bad relationships. They, they hang out with the wrong people. They do drugs, and then they go broke. But anyway, let me finish up the story here. So on October 10th, 2008, Conseco was detained by immigration officials at a San Diego border crossing as he tried to bring a fertility drug from Mexico. He stated the drug was to help with his hormone replacement therapy needed due to his use of steroids. Okay, there you go. Uh, on November 4, 2008, Conseco pleaded guilty in federal court and was sentenced to 12 months unsupervised probation by U.S. Magistrate Judge Ruben B. Brooks. Uh, the 2008 A&E Network documentary Jose Conseco Last Shot chronicles Conseco's attempts to end his steroid use. In it, he also regrets ever writing his tell-all book and naming former teammates as steroid users as he was never given the opportunity to participate in Major League Baseball-affiliated baseball since he has tried unsuccessfully to reach out to former Bash brother Mark McGuire and other ex-teammates. In 2014, he returned to the Oakland Coliseum to take part in the reunion celebration, the 25th anniversary, the 25th, the 25th anniversary of the 1989 World Series championship team. This marked the first time Conseco took part in an official Major League Baseball event in almost 13 years. Mark McGuire, at the time coach of the Los Angeles Dodgers, did not attend the event. On May 22, 2013, Conseco was named as a suspect in a rape allegation in Las Vegas, he broke the news himself on Twitter, denying the allegations and posting pictures and defamatory information about his accuser. On June 7, 2013, Conseco was cleared of any wrongdoing 
following an investigation, he was never charged. All right. Okay, so Jose Canseco, back in the day, he was he, he and Mark McGuire, if you if you if you're on YouTube, you're gonna see the pictures of Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. All right, so what these guys look like and what the tell all book looks like. Okay, so download the Spotify app. So anyway, back to Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. Hi, Jose Canseco and Mark, 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 Mark McGuire were teammates on the Oakland A's. And they were known as the Bash Brothers, both of them. They were known as the Bash Brothers because they, could, they were like jacking home runs like crazy. And um, it was very uh, an interesting time in sports because of the steroid use. And... Everyone that grew up around that time or around that time, like my age, my generation, or older, um, it was really like in the news constantly, right? You know, that, 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 those years. And the talk amongst everyone back in the day was like, how can these guys, uh, you know, use the drugs, which quite frankly, I kind of like the steroid era because it was, it was entertaining. Now, I'm not promoting taking drugs, folks, but just as an everyday citizen and an and, and, and observer of news, entertainment, it was really entertaining. I mean, I don't want anybody, I don't find people, um, their demise in life funny. But when someone constantly does uh, foolish things, you can't help but say, man, you're going to crash and burn, right? I mean, it's like you got a neighbor who drinks and drive all the time. And I'm not saying that's funny. I'm not promoting drinking and driving. But you got, let's say you have a neighbor that's always raising hell. You're thinking, well, dude, one of these days you're going to go down the street. You're going to run a stop sign. You're going to kill somebody. You're going to hurt yourself, kill somebody. You might even kill your own family. And because this podcast is all about mental health, psychology, um, why people do what they do. And on Sundays, we're going to talk about sports psychology on Sundays. Um, this, to me, this guy, Jose Canseco, and, and the guys in that generation, they were roided up. They, uh, most of them did really dumb things. They'd go into bars, get into fights, and it was like they, they loved it. They were playing off their celebrity status, you know, and uh, maybe acting like gangsters or whatever, you know, they, they thought it was cool. So now I don't, I don't have, um, I'm not zooming. I don't have a, a professional uh, psychologist on my podcast today, but kind of gets you thinking: um, Why do athletes that have millions of dollars, they have the keys to so many things uh, that us average people can get? get to you know they got the keys to 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 meet important people that can change their lives but yet they do the negatives and like they they throw away that key that they earned to to do well so they take this key that they earned from their talents uh their skills and they just chuck it out the window and it goes into the gutter. And that's it, folks. And their lives go downhill. And I remember when this was happening, you know, we'd play golf. We'd go to the bar and we'd talk about this stuff all the time. It's like, how can these guys do that? Uh, you know, me and my friends, just everyday guys. When we're playing golf, we, we got to pay for our golf, right? Back in the day, it was like, I don't know, 40 bucks around. But, you know, we had to buy our own golf balls and whatever. And these guys probably, more than likely could go to any country club and if they got connections they could play with multi-billionaire members and get the the treatment you know right um we knew this one guy that used to live in japan a long time ago and he was telling me like these american players would go to japan and they're like gods so everything would be taken care of. i mean these guys are millionaires already here in america but when they go to japan and they meet with this big business icons in japan these guys don't spend any money they're like they're, they're, they're buffed out they're like taken care of you know they'll play like two rounds of golf in a country club in japan and they'll go and drink tea and have a massage and watch a ball game and then they'll continue to play holes three to ten 
come in, have a feast of sushi and, you know, some, you know, some hotties would come around and massage your feet or something like that. And they'll go to the, the hot tub. So, I mean, that, that's what I'm talking about. And, and, and they get all these privileges that they really earn because of their talents and connections. And then they just get that key and they toss it out the freaking window into a gutter and that's it. Right? So why do you think that they do that? You know? And you got, you know, guys like um you know like Earl Hershiser, uh one of my favorite Dodgers. He was a pitcher and he actually he beat the A's in nineteen eighty eight. And he was like Mr. Goody Goody, right? He was like uh the church boy and I'm not saying all church boys are innocent, but, you know, he was like the church guy and never got in trouble, you know, never lost millions. Um, I'm sure he did some shady things on the side we never know about. But when you take, I mean, just look at Conseco, like like his rap sheet, you know, like it was one after another. It wasn't like one time, oh, you know, Jose just, you know, he took his car and rammed, you know, his future wife's BMW because he they had a, a an argument, a verbal argument, and that was it. No, he had like... A rap sheet of another one, another wrongdoing, another wrongdoing, 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 lose money, lose money, lose money. Not once in this, his history of, you know, his life did I really see like he made money. He made money after baseball. He made money. He made money. Yeah, he wrote a book. He wrote a book. And he was like a squealer. He like he 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 turned people in like, you know, it's, it's a, a, an unwritten rule. You don't do that stuff. You know, um, but he did. And then, you know, I don't know if you were li- if you were listening to me read this story of this guy. Then he he regretted writing the book. Well, Jose is too late. Once you print a book and you're like you're thinking you're hot crap, you 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 sell it. You're you're on I don't know back in the day Arsenio Hall or David Letterman. You're promoting the book. It's too late. You know, once you sell it, it's in print. People see it, and you might be like a mark guy if you, you're talking about stuff about other people that was doing some kind of crime because basically you're just squealing right you're just turning people in and what's the ramifications on that your life could be threatened so i don't know about jose but you know he was just kind of you know kind of going off the wall there for a little bit right okay so the next athlete next athlete we're gonna we're gonna talk about the next athlete all right um Michael Vick, Michael Vick, who was a quarterback, and if you are on YouTube, you can see the pictures. If uh, you don't, you don't know who Michael Vick is, I'll I'll help you out. If you're watching the the YouTube version, you can see what I'm posting. You can also see what I'm posting if you download the Spotify app, and you can hear me as well as look at what I'm posting. Uh, other than that, if you're on Apple, TuneIn, Anchor. Uh, apparently you won't get what I'm posting as far as visuals is concerned. So here we go. Okay, so uh, Michael Vick. Michael Vick. Okay, let's take a look at Michael Vick's controversies. All right, uh, his shady dealings, if you will. All right. So, so between his selection by the Atlanta Falcons in the 2001 NFL Draft. And early 2007, Vic was allegedly involved in several incidents. All right, I'm going to stop right there, folks. All you young ones listening. All you young ones listening. You don't, <laughs> you, in life in general, folks, kids especially, uh, in general, you want to keep your nose clean. You don't, uh, you don't want to be, uh, you don't want to be involved in several incidents. I get it. You know, some kids, they go to college. You know, they got some misdemeanor offenses, and then they straighten up, blah, 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 right? But when someone has several incidents, that's a little bit too much. When someone says, you know, uh, you know, they got Ronson Brown over there, that podcaster dude. You know, he had several instances with the law. I don't know if we should uh, put our money on him. But, you know, if he, hit, uh, he had several minor incidents, you know, uh, minor. Okay, but this guy never really had 
so much minor stuff. Okay, so anyway, here we go. Michael Vick, all right? So uh, in early 2004, two men were arrested in Virginia for distributing marijuana. Okay, the truck they were driving was registered to none other than Michael Vick. <laughs> all right, this is like a comedy almost right from the beginning, but um, it's not funny. So Falcons coach at the time one of the best coaches in the NFL, in the NFL history, in the history of the NFL, Dan Reeves, said he lectured Vic at that time on the importance of reputation, on choosing the right friends, and on staying out of trouble for the good of his team. All right. This first PowerPoint, I'm going to read again. All right. In 2004, uh, two men were arrested in Virginia for, you know, Marketing marijuana, which is most places at the time, illegal, right? And the truck was registered to Michael Vick. So it's like um, I have a truck. It's registered under me, RS, right? And uh, I give it to my friend Kimo and, and Lance. And they, they do their rogue illegal thing, right? But they're my friends, you know. I'm not thinking, hey, do whatever you do, man. I'm RS. I'm a millionaire, man. I'm cool. You're cool. I want to be cool. I'm with you homies. Truck is registered under me. It's on me, folks. Have a good time. Rob the bank. Um, so the coach, Dan Reeves, who's an older, wiser man, of course, right? Uh takes this young Michael Vick and lectured him on, hey, dude, dude, you got to, like, pick your friends wisely because, I mean, uh, these guys are just using you. Your homies are using you and getting you in trouble. Is that wise? Or you just want to be cool? All right? So the same year, later, later, the same year, right around Halloween on October of 2004, Vick and another, oh, wait, hold on. Vic and other members of his entourage. I'm going to stop right there. Once you have members of an entourage, I mean, let's say you got like 15 people in your entourage and you're the millionaire dude. I'd say 15 of them are just leeches. <laughs> and I've seen this shit happen before. On Maui with NBA players that just got drafted and made millions and they're they're here on Maui living it up, you know, and they got their entourage. Whole bunch of like losers, right? Yeah, man, you know, I'm with so and so, man. Put it on his tab, yo. Man, you know what I'm saying? And shine my shoes too, man. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, get out of here. But um so uh Vic and and other members of his entourage, including employee Quanice Phillips, I think that's the right way, or Quanice, Quanice Phillips, were at Atlanta's Hartsfield International Airport. That's, it's a, a different name now, but anyway, Atlanta's big airport. Uh, they were on their way to board an AirTran flight, right? While they were passing through security check, well, <laughs> try that again. While they were passing through a security checkpoint, a security camera caught Phillips and Todd Harris picking up an expensive appearing watch that belonged to Alvin Spencer, a security screener. After watching the theft on videotape, Spencer filed a police report. He claimed that Billy White Shoes Johnson, known as the Falcons Fixer, interfered with the investigation. Although Vic's representatives declined to make him available for an Atlanta police inquiry, Spencer got the watch back six days later. How's that? That's pretty weak. Right? Where's my watch? It's only a Casio. <laughs> it's like a my G-Shock watch is gone. My Iron Man watch from Timex is gone. I don't know. Uh, in March of 05, Sonia Elliott filed a civil lawsuit against Vic 
alleging the con- alleging the contracted. Ah, man, let me read this again. In March of 05, Sonia Elliott filed a civil lawsuit against Vic, alleging she contracted genital herpes from him in the autumn of 2002, that he failed to inform her that he had the disease. Elliott further alleged that Vic had visited clinics under the alias Ron Mexico to get treatments and thus knew of his condition. On April 24, 2006, Vic's attorney, Lawrence Woodward, revealed that the lawsuit had been settled out of court under undisclosed terms. Many fans bought custom jerseys from NFL.com with Vic's number 7 and the name Mexico on the back. The NFL later banned customizing jerseys with the name Mexico. All right, hold on. Let, let, let me look at this time here. This is some raw material, folks, for my stand-up comedy. Uh, I will be appearing at Madison Square Garden early part of 2003. Just joking. <laughs> um, check this shit out. This is like shit you can't make up in Hollywood. So, this is one thing I got to ask this chick, Sonia Elliott. I mean, you know, he, she has... Apparently, apparently, unprotected sex with Michael Vick's dick. Yo, throw a rubber on his dick, right? No? I don't know. Anyway, so she contracted genital herpes. I don't know. Okay, so after a loss to the New Orleans Saints on November 26, 2006, in the Georgia Dome, Vic made an obscene gesture at fans in an apparent reaction to booing, holding up both hands with the middle finger extended. He was fined 10 grand by the league and agreed to donate another 10 grand to charity. Here you go, folks. All you young kids out there with talent in athletics or whatever, hold back on showing the middle finger. You got to learn to take the punches, kids. Learn to take the punches. Learn to walk away because look, 10 grand, that's 20 grand he had to give up. And he can't write this stuff off on his taxes, right? You do something stupid like this, right? You cut a check to the league, you cut a check to a charity. Maybe the charity you can, but maybe not under these circumstances, right? There's like a little clause. Not because you're like flipping off 10,000 people of 20,000 people, 50,000 people at a stadium on live television, you can't write this shit off. <laughs> so anyway, so Vic surrendered a water bottle that had a hidden compartment to security personnel at Miami International Airport on 17th June 2007. Okay, so the compartment was hidden by the bottle's label so that it appeared to be a full bottle of water when held upright. Police said test results indicated there were no illegal substances in the water bottle and Vic was cleared of any wrongdoing. Vic announced that the water bottle was a jewelry stash box and that the substance in question had been jewelry. Ah. Whatever. On April 24, 2007, Vic was scheduled to lobby on Capitol Hill, hoping to persuade lawmakers to increase funding for after-school programs. Vic missed a connecting flight in Atlanta on Monday to Reagan, uh, Reagan National Airport in Arlington, Virginia. He failed to show up for another seat Booked for him later that evening. On Tuesday morning, he did not attend his scheduled appearance at a congressional breakfast, breakfast where he was to be honored for his foundation's work with after-school projects in Georgia and Virginia. Vic's mother, Brenda, accepted the award from the After-School Alliance. Right. I just want to accept this award for my baby boy, Vic, 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 Michael Vic. I really don't know where Michael is. Damn, kid. Uh, in 2007, Vic's father, Michael Bodie, or Body, 
made statements about possible dogfighting activities in 01. Body, I think I'm pronouncing this right, told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that around 2001, Vic was staging dogfights in the garage of the family's home in Newport News and kept, do and kept fighting dogs in the family's backyard, including injured ones that the father nursed back to health. Body said his son had been urged not to engage in the activity, but continued. <laughs> this is Mike's thing, he said, and he knows it. Within days, Vic's mother, Brenda Vic Body, told the Newport News Daily Press that there was no dog fighting. There are no cages. None of that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, folks. Uh, I mean, uh, enough said. I'm going to continue. <laughs> so dog fighting. Okay, dog fighting. Main article, bad news. Kennel's dog fighting investigation. All right. A search warrant executed on 25th April 2007 as part of a drug investigation of Vic's cousin, Devon Body, led to discovery of evidence of unlawful dog fighting activities at a property owned by Vic in rural Surrey County in southeastern Virginia with extensive facilities for the activity. Media attention quickly grew as state officials investigated, soon joined by federal authorities. As separate state and federal investigations progressed, more details emerged about an interstate dogfighting ring that involved drugs and gambling. Gruesome details of abuse, torture, and execution of underperforming dogs galvanized animal rights activists and expressions of public outrage. Vic and several others were indicted on federal and Virginia state felony charges related to the operation. All right, kids listening. You know, it's one thing to have like uh, your local police kind of like bust you for something stupid, like maybe shooting craps in your garage, right? Uh, and there's another thing when you got federal prosecution on your tab. Not good. Not good. Uh, federal prosecution and convictions. A uh, speech by Senator Robert Byrd made to U.S. Senate following the indictment of Michael Vick on federal dogfighting charges. In July of 2007, Vick and three other men were indicted on federal felony charges of operating an unlawful interstate dogfighting venture known as Bad News Kennels. Uh, very, uh, very entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, right? But uh, maybe it's the wrong type of uh, product <laughs> or entertainment. Okay, so Vic was accused of financing the operation, of course. Got to be the NFL superstar because uh, he's got the millions, yo. Uh, so Vic was accused of financing the operation, directly participating in dogfights and executions, and personally handling, handling thousands of dollars in related gambling activities. Federal prosecutors indicated they intended to proceed under the provisions of the Racketeer, Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, or it's called RICO, right? RICO, R-I-C-O. Uh, a federal states, uh, a United States federal law that provides for extended criminal penalties and a civil cause of action for acts performed as part of an ongoing criminal organization. Okay, kids, right here. You know, it's one thing to go shoplifting, <laughs> right? Go shoplifting at your local freaking 7-Eleven or AMPM, right? Right? There's one thing you get busted for shoplifting for a bag of Fritos and a Coke. Right? Right? Maybe some spam musubi. Shit, maybe even like a case of brew. Yeah, no big deal. But when you got this on you, a RICO thing, right? U.S. states federal law stuff, right? Uh, criminal investigations, uh, organizations, interstate dogfighting. Anytime you have anything that's related to like interstate, you're kind of screwed up. 
You know, it's like Iran got busted for shoplifting and stealing gas in Lahaina. No big deal, right? But yeah, Iran's been uh, running some prostitution rings interstate on the mainland. That's messed up, right? And then you got like international charges. You're more messed up. And more messed up if you're on like, freaking CNN, Fox News and shit like that. You really messed up. <sighs> okay, so by August 20th, Vic and the other three co-defendants agreed to separate plea bargains for the federal charges. They were expected to each receive federal prison sentences of between one and five years. Four days later, Vic filed plea documents with the federal court. He pleaded guilty to conspiracy to travel in interstate commerce in aid of unlawful activities and to sponsor a dog in an animal fighting venture Vic admitted to providing most of the financing for the operation and to participating directly in several dog fights in Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina and South Carolina. Kids, that's too many destinations. All right, so he admitted to sharing in the proceeds from these dog fights. He further admitted that he knew his colleagues killed several dogs who did not perform well. He admitted to being involved in the destruction of 6 to 8 dogs by hanging or drowning. Wow, this guy is sick. The victimization uh, and killing of pit bulls was considered an aggravating circumstance, allowing prosecutors to exceed the federal sentencing, uh, allowing federal, allowing prosecutors to exceed the federal sentencing guidelines for the charge. Vic denied placing any side bets on the dog fights. On August 27th, U.S. District Judge Henry E. Hudson accepted uh, Vic's plea, a uh, guilty plea, but reminded Vic that he, Hudson, was under no obligation to accept the prosecution's recommendations of a reduced sentence. While free on bail, Vic tested positive for marijuana in a random drug test. This was a violation of the conditions of his release while awaiting sentencing while awaiting sentencing in federal court, Vic's positive urine sample was submitted on September 13, 2007, according to a document filed by a federal probation officer on, se on September 26. As a result, Hudson ordered Vic confined to his Hampton, Virginia home between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. with electronic monitoring uh, until his court hearing date in December. He was ordered to submit to random drug testing. So in November, Vic turned himself in early to begin accruing time-served credit uh, against his likely federal prison sentence. He was held at Northern Neck Regional Jail in Warsaw, Virginia, awaiting sentencing on the federal convictions. On December 10th, Vic appeared in U.S. District Court in Richmond for sentencing, Judge Hudson said he was convinced that it was not a momentary lack of judgment on Vic's part and that Vic was a full partner in the dogfighting ring and he was sentenced to serve 23 months in federal prison. Hudson noted that despite Vic's claim to have accepted responsibility for his actions, his failure to cooperate fully with federal officials, coupled with a failed drug test and a failed polygraph, show that he had not taken full responsibility for promoting, funding, and facilitating this cruel and inhumane sporting activity. Vic was assigned to United States Penitentiary Leavenworth, a federal prison uh, facility, facility in Leavenworth, Kansas, to serve his sentence. Let me check my time. Ooh, time is of the essence. Okay, so... At the request of federal authorities before sentencing, Vic agreed to deposit nearly $1 million in an escrow account with attorneys to reimburse others for the cost of caring for the confiscated dogs, most of which were being offered for adoption on a selective basis under supervision of a court-appointed specialist. Experts said some of the animals would require special care for the rest of their lives. During the administration of his bankruptcy case, the U.S. Department of Labor complained that these funds were paid at least partially with unlawfully withdrawn monies that Vic held in trust for himself and eight other employees of, MV, of MV7, a celebrity marketing company he owned. State prosecution and sentencing. Okay, separate Virginia charges against all four defendants in the dogfighting case 
were brought following indictments by the Surrey County Grand Jury when it met on 25th September of 2007. The principal evidence considered was sworn statements of the defendants during their plea agreement process before the federal court. Vic was charged with two Class 6 felonies, which each carried a maximum penalty of five years' imprisonment. Citing the high cost and transportation logistics of proceeding while Vic was still in federal prison, state prosecutor Gerald Poindexter decided to postpone Vic's trial in Surrey County Circuit Court until after Vic's release from federal custody. Vic's attorneys sought to resolve the state charges sooner on October 14 of 08. Vic attorney Lawrence Woodward filed a motion to enter a plea via two-way electro- two electronic video with the Surrey County Courts. Vic planned to plead guilty to state charges in an effort to get early release from federal prison and enter a halfway house. The request for a trial without Vic physically present was denied, but Poindexter agreed to hold a state trial while Vic was still in federal custody Custody, if Vic bore the cost of his transportation to Virginia and related expenses. Vic was transported to Virginia in October of 08 to face the state charges. He appeared before the Surrey County Circuit Court on 25th of November at a session held in neighboring Sussex County because the Surrey, car- because the Surrey Court building was undergoing renovation okay so he submitted a guilty plea in a single virginia felony charge for dogfighting receiving a three-year prison sentence suspended on condition for uh, good behavior and a $2,500 and a $2,500 fine in, in return for the plea agreement the other charges or the other charges dropped michael Dwayne vick federal bureau of prisons was released on on July 20, 2009. Okay, so we just talked about two. Uh, t- Look at my time. Uh, what time is it? 46, no, 45, 45 minutes. Yeah, okay, I got a few minutes left. I'm going to wrap this one up, folks. So Jose Canseco, man, a lot of criminal incidents is... <laughs> A lot of unlawful circumstances getting busted. Uh, Michael Vick of the NFL not playing anymore again. A lot of a lot of stuff happened with with this guy. And this podcast is kind of like make you think. You know what I'm saying? And hopefully, as if you got parents, I mean, if you got if you're a par- if you're a parent. And you have a very talented kid in whatever it is. And you can foresee that your child can become a success at whatever it is he or she is talented and skilled with. You got to teach them, look, man, you got to be morally sound. Um, You got to learn to take the hits when people are negative at you. And, you know, don't snap. Don't run with the wrong people. Because the facts are, if, if kids start running with the wrong people, uh, it will affect them mentally. You know what I mean? And um, for myself, um, I look back and, you know, my mom, you know, had, had she, she was positive with me when I, I was trying to get into music. You know, she helped buy me this awesome drum set, this drum kit that costs a lot. She paid half, I paid half, and I gave up. And she was hurt. She was really hurt. She goes, how, how are we not playing anymore? For like two, three years, you, you guys rehearsed, and you guys were getting good. I heard you guys. You guys had a girl singer. You know, you guys could keep the beat at least, right? And um, I gave up because the, the fact was I, I hung out with the wrong people that, you know, I wasn't like a, a drug dealer or anything, but I was hanging around with the wrong people, and I started to do, you know, cocaine you know, I was already doing pot, just everyone did it. But I started to use cocaine and started to drink a little bit more. Not really heavily, but it, it kind of made me lazy. And um, it really is. If, if, if you hang out with the wrong people, um, you it's going to rub off. You know, like if you're, if you got talent and let's say you're a kid and you're, you're good at the piano. I'm just making an, an example. If you're a kid, you're good with the, the piano 
you're practicing, you're practicing. You know what? Hey, keep doing that. Take a break, but don't hang out with the wrong people. Find like-minded people. If you can't find it, hang out with your teachers because that, that gift that God gave you of playing the piano or whatever it is, it's a gift that not too many people have. And, and if you work on it and you, you become really proficient at it, you're going to go places because when, when you're positive and you do good things, it just attracts the right the right people and it'll attract the wrong people but you gotta know when to like shut off the wrong people in your life you know but um uncle ron brother ron all i'm saying is look um i I read two successful uh professional athletes that, that took the wrong turn and had to pay the ultimate price going to prison being on the news for doing something stupid and losing a lot of the money that they rightfully earn because of their talents. And I don't want to see uh, future kids be, be, you know, you're great at one thing, and then you're just going to get the wrong people in your life, and you're going to blow it all. Because money, you know, it isn't easy to get. So if you got a talent and somebody signs you for whatever it is, whatever business you're going to get into, and you got a signing bonus of an X amount of money you never dream of getting, that's special. So don't go blowing it on drugs and fast cars and fast whatever. You know, stay on that narrow road. It'll help you out in the future. And, you know, only the strong survive. All right. So anyway, I'm Ronson Brown here on RSB8P Season 3, Episode 10 talking about sports sports psychology so every sunday is going to be about, uh, we're going to talk about sports and the mind why people do something uh, wrong in sports and what what whatever you know uh, we have to deal with in the sports industry and on uh, the third the thursday the thursday podcast is going to be about you know family individuals uh we'll talk about that so um ronson brown out